0: Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you're a guest, it's great to have you. We're uh, making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And we find ourselves at verse 21 uh, this morning. And this is uh, actually uh, the beginning of a series of of six commands that Jesus is going to give. And then kind of clarify what those commands really mean. Uh, So starting with verse 21... I'll give you a a few more seconds to uh, still hear pages flipping. It says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison truly I say to you you will never get out until you have paid the last penny let's pray once more dear only father God help us to understand what's truly in your law God help us to look at it and, and be awed by the calling of our lives of holiness God help us to to uh, to see it and see our need of dependence on Jesus Christ for our fulfillment of the law. God, move in us. Help us, God, to address anger that's in our heart that, that maybe has been there for years. God, help us to see how you would have us keep your law. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what we have here is, is, the, is the first of six statements where jesus takes a command uh, and 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 seeks to move his disciples into the true meaning of that command the full unfailing unfailing of that command the formula will be the same all six statements jesus will say this he will say you've heard it said this but i say this Think about the authority of Jesus that Jesus is claiming here. If Jesus had not made any other uh, claims to be God, he this would have in a sense he, he did make more claims. But if this is all he did was just to take God's law and say, This is what God's law is, that would be in many ways the only claim we would need to know that this isn't just a man, but this this is the Son of God. Psalm thirty-eight two says this about God's law. I bow, I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have ex- exalted above all things your name and your word. That's a big deal, right? That, that God would say, I've exalted above everything else my name and and my word and then for jesus to come along and take that word and say this is what it really means and it's not that he's saying that these what's you know that these commands are wrong no he's saying he's just giving the full meaning of these commands so first we see that and we'll really see with all six of these statements eventually um that the keeping, keeping the law of God is about the heart as well as the outward actions. Should we refrain from murder? Absolutely. Part of this commandment is, is certainly forbidding the act of murder. To attack another person is to attack the image of God. Whether they are a hundred years old or still being formed in the womb, it is an evil, evil act to take a human life. The center of Jesus' correction here and with other commands is the heart though. We know that God is, is far more concerned with what is going on in our heart, in the hearts of His people as He is about the actions that we do on the outside or the words that we speak. God told this to Samuel when Samuel was to go and, and to anoint King David um, he said this, remember this, for the Lord sees, not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We see in the Gospels an ongoing battle between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes concerning the outward presentation of who they were and what they truly were on the inside. He says this in Matthew fifteen, seven and 8. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Like They look great, they're talking the talk and all of that good stuff, but when God looks upon their heart, he knows that their hearts. Is far away from God despite what everyone thinks about how they're behaving and what they're saying. In Matthew 23, we we really see all of this come to a head as Jesus almost takes uh, the entire chapter of Matthew 23 to pronounce woes on the Pharisees, just basically telling them how bad they are and how wrong they're getting everything. And it includes this in verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are all full of greed and self-indulgence. You, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and, are, and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Folks, this isn't a Pharisee problem, okay? Understand this, that this is a religious problem. And, and y'all, we have a faith That does in that faith contains behavior, a call to certain types of behavior and certain types of godliness, and to to live your life a certain way. And as long as that's part of our faith, we're always going to live with the temptation to just give assent to all of that on the outside to play the part, to act like the Christian should act, there will be a temptation to do that at the expense of true gospel heart transformation. We're always going to be tempted to clean up the outside and leave the inside alone. Well, why? Why is that such a temptation? Well, for one thing, it's easy to do. I mean, if you just take... The command not to murder at face value. I mean, is that that difficult? To, I mean, depending on who you're married to, maybe it's a daily temptation. But by and large, most of us can control our anger enough that we will never truly take the life of another person. And so it's really easy to to just... Be able to say, man, I got that commandment down. I've never murdered anybody. I've never really even gotten close to murdering anybody. And so I've got that down. That's easy. What Jesus is unfolding here is not easy. Dealing with the anger in the heart, dealing with the words you say, that's not easy. But just dealing with that initial surface level of the law is easy. And so that's a temptation for us to go with what is easy. When we settle for the bare minimum and refuse to go deeper into law, it really isn't that hard. And also something about the outward is it's praise-inducing. And what I mean by that is, um, is there's something about operating as a Christian on the outside that has lots of people coming by patting you on the back, going, "You are such a good person." Man, you never, you, know, you never say anything bad about people. Man, you're, just, you're just a great guy. You're just a, a nice woman. I, I'm just glad to know you. It's easier to put up that front and people pat you on the back, but the, the struggle in the heart that, that Jesus is instructing us to have really isn't all that praise-inducing. That's only what God sees, right? Like, if you are... Experiencing the malice in your heart towards someone that you are, because you're a good person, you're not gonna let it out, you're not gonna punch them in the face at work, because you're a good Christian. But when you when you have malice in your hearts and you're having to 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 painfully think through why is that anger there, and remove it and uproot it from your heart. And cast it aside and, and try to attempt to, to replace that anger with love for that person. Man, all of that, man, only God sees that. And so sometimes it's just easier, I'm just going to act like I like that person. Instead of so truly dealing with what's inside the heart. It's easy. It is praise-inducing. And it just feels better to deal with what's on the outside than what's on the inside. Like, it, it's just easier to deal with all the people out here instead of, say, instead of looking deep and saying, what's in my heart? Now, me and my wife, we constantly, every day, every week we're saying, we live in a crazy house. These four kids... Are bringing the crazy and they're sucking the life out of us. And we get frustrated and we get tired. We love them. We wouldn't try them for anything. And so often we just want to say, man, they are making, they're just, it's hard. They're crazy. They just go in the potty, in the potty, not the floor. Please. And it's so easy to focus in the same way at work. All these people, they just make me mad. They make me angry because they're, they're lazier. They don't do things right. And the reality is, is that there's nothing that's coming out of our heart that was put there by them. What's coming out of our heart is what's coming out of our evil, wicked heart. And so it's so easy oftentimes to just concentrate on what's out there I sit it going, man. And God expose expose the deepest, darkest evil and anger in my heart. That's hard. That's hard. Heart work is hard work. Surface making everything look good out here is the easy part. And just on a side note before we, we move into the actual command here think about this in relation to parenting we've got a lot of a lot of parents in our church of, of small kids God's a good God And God's a good father and, and what that means is is that he's not just after our behavior he's after our heart and if you want to be a good parent like God is a good parent you need to treat your kids the same way and be after their hearts and not just their behavior. We don't need nice kids that don't love God and are going to hell. Don't just focus on behavior, focus on what's in their heart and bring it out and talk to them about it and, and help them to, through, through gospel transformation, help them to change what's in their heart through dependence on Christ, of course. Now let's look more specifically at the command at hand. You, there's going to be an element of what I just said about the heart that's going to be all six of these commands. But Jesus says here, it said, do not murder. But Jesus says there's several things that we should not that, that we should not be doing that that go beyond murder or, or lead up to murder. So keeping the sixth commandment means confronting the roots of anger confronting the roots of of anger or or the roots of murder I'm sorry first we have anger in verse 22 it says but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment murder is the outward visible disobedience but before the uh the outward visible disobedience there was inward invisible disobedience that no one saw there was the rage in your heart before you it led you to attack another person on the outside god does not just command us to address the the fruit of of sin he commands us to address the root of sin as well john pretend to fear sin that does not fear temptation also these two are too closely united to be separated. He does not truly hate the fruit who delights in the roots. Um, last year, or maybe the year before, I've got a, a sweet gum problem uh, on my, around my pond. It's just I mean, sweet gums popping up Everywhere. And so uh, I, I kind of read about how to treat that. And so I go out with my chainsaw and I start cutting these sweet gums down. And, and what I would read is, man, you've got to poison them. And so I would take the stumps and I would just really condense the poison. And I would take, uh, take a brush, a paintbrush, and on all those stumps I would go through and, uh, and just paint those stumps with it. Well, it got to the point I just got tired of doing that, so, man, I just kept, I just started chopping them all down, right, not worrying about the poison, and about a year or two later, now we said, and and uh, what do you think it looks like? Well, there's an area of the pond that is really nice, and, and, and the sweet gums have been taken care of, and there's other that's coming back worse than it ever was, because, there's more sun getting in there, and man, the, the, the sweet gums are popping up everywhere. And what happened was, is in one area I treated the roots. In the other area, I just kind of chopped off what is visible. But the problem is not just what's invisible. The, the problem is the root system that's under the ground that's just going to keep shooting up the same trees until the root is treated. And this is the problem with godly transformation versus a Pharisee behavior modification effort. One lays the axe to the visible leaving all of the roots of sin there and all it's going to do is just keep shooting up the same stuff. But but gospel heart transformation lays the axe and the poison to the root of sin so that your heart will be changed, so that you will You will change what's coming out of your life. This is what God was encouraging Cain to do before the original murder. When he said in Genesis 4 6 and 7, he said, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I mean, God, at the very first murder, comes along, what does he say? There's anger at your door. There's sin is crouching at your door. It's your heart. There's something going on. I see it. I see right into your heart. And I know this is not going to end well. You need to get a hold of it. And what happens? He murders. Murder, as with all outward sins, begins in the heart. And until we get that right, until we begin to kill sin in the heart, we will continue to make a mess of things on the outside. You've got to address what's in your heart, folks. If you don't address what's in your heart, you're still going to just keep doing the same stuff you're doing. This is why in our, with the testimony of our salvation that Jesus said there's going to be a time where God was going to take the heart of stone out and put a heart of flesh. God's given us a heart of flesh to, to beat for Him and for His glory and, and not for sin. And then we see words. We see another root that can lead to murder. Words are a fate, fatal weapon. It says whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The word insult here is a little more specific in the Greek. It's a word "raka," which means worthless fellow. So how? So now we're moving out of the heart and, and out, of, out of the heart and, and out of the mouth. It's starting to come out now. Okay, God said, beware the anger in your heart. And now we, we haven't done that. And so now it's moved up and it's escaping our mouths. More specifically, you know, with this word raka, it's essentially what you're doing is you're writing people off. You're just writing people off. You're, you're putting a banner over someone that just says, man, they're worthless. They'll never be anything. They'll never... Man, they're just worthless. And maybe you don't do away with them in the world, but you do away with them in your world. And is that not a certain act of murder? We can murder and we can tear down with our words and and kill a reputation. And kill... And, and kill a person's heart without ever raising a gun or a knife. Ephesians 4.29 says this, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Growing up, I always thought that was just four-letter four letter words. I just thought that verse was saying, hey, corrupt and talk, that's four-letter words. And that's not four-letter words. That's any word that, that destroys someone else that can potentially harm someone else. We must be very careful about what we say concerning our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not always going to agree on everything. There is going to be personality differences that can cause friction. You don't have to like everything about someone, but you certainly need to love them as a brother or sister in Christ. You know, I've, I've said this before, and you've probably said it before. Well, I love them, but I just don't like them. And I understand the spirit of a statement like that. And I've used it, and, and I meant it well. I mean, like, there's just... We're never going to be best friends, but, but I still love them in Christ. But you know what I've, I've come to realize is that often when I want to say that about someone, if you push me, what am I really going to want to talk about? Am I going to want to talk about what I love about that person? Am I going to want to talk about the evidences of grace that I see God working in their life? Or... Am I going to prefer to tell you what I don't like about them? Let us be people that that even when we disagree, even when we disagree, even when, okay, that's someone I'm probably not going to hang out with a lot. Let us be people that just try to look past all the faults we find in people and see the evidences of God's grace and to talk about those. And if someone comes to us because maybe they're rubbing someone else the wrong way and they, they come to you and, and, and they want to unload on why they don't like that person, why not just say, but hey, let's think about this. Have you, have you seen them with their kids? And they're, they're a great dad or they're a great mother. You know, change it to what's commendable about them. That's love. If you spend time and effort to tear others down through your words, listen to me, you are sinning. If you're speaking bad about someone else, in that moment, you are sinning. If the things that you are talking or you talking about that you dislike about them, if they're not sinful... Then you're elevating and putting separation in things that shouldn't separate, right? Like, they're a hippie vegetarian. And you, most of your free time is given over to figuring out how to ambush an animal. They like LSU, or worse yet, they like Alabama. You're all country, and they're, they're all, they're city-fied. Or they're all country and you're all city You tend to be very, very forward. You're like a very forward, direct person. They're real timid. You tend to not like to talk and it's like they are being paid by the Word. You know, these may be reasons why you're never going to be best friends. Maybe. But this should never be a reason for you to spend any effort or any time in talking bad about them. Calling them worthless. Calling them a fool. I mean, how important must it be to God that says, if you call someone a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. This isn't just manners, folks. This isn't just good manners. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. This isn't just about manners. This is about what God calls you to. And that is to be a person of love. What if you would say, yeah, but man, some of the stuff I don't like about them. It's sin. Well, Matthew 18 could not be clearer that it's not your job to tell others that they're worthless or sinful, it's your job to go to them and beg them and say, "This is what I've seen about your life and I love you and I've noticed this. And let me let me help you, let me pray for you about this sin. It's not to just sit around and talk to other people about Man, I can't believe they do that. You're being disobedient to the scriptures. We see it goes beyond that. Goes, keeping the sixth commandment means actively pursuing peace. We, we have two scenarios that Jesus gives here. He says, if you're, if you're on your way to, to worship, if you have your gift that you're bringing before God and you realize that you have a brother or sister that has something against you, what you need to do is leave your gift there Go and make it right. And then you come back and then you take that gift and then you present it to God. And then also, if if you are on your way to court with someone and you owe them a debt, it's in your best interest. If you owe them that debt, pay it. Make it right. Don't leave it up to the judge. Leave it up to you. There's a very practical way and just being a peacemaker can make your life go well. So it's not just about internally struggling to put anger out of your heart. It's about outwardly pursuing peace with others. It's not just about sitting at home, like in your house, meditating, saying, oh, I've got to get anger out of my heart. It's about leaving your house and making things right with people that you have wronged. That's God's calling to us here. As we saw in the opening Beatitudes weeks ago, blessed are the peacemakers. Not just the peacekeepers, but the peacemakers. It's interesting that he gives the example of coming to worship while there's conflict in your relationship with someone else. First, we see how important it is to God. The very purpose of our existence is worship, folks. Like, that's why we exist. That's why God created us. That's why we breathe right now. And that is why we will breathe for all. That's why we will live and and breathe in all of eternity. It will be because we are called and created and exist and will exist to worship God. That is our purpose. And yet, God would say, if you come to fulfill that main purpose that I've given you in life, and you come there, and you've got something wrong, something you've done, you've done somebody wrong, I'll wait. I'm timeless. God's like, I'm timeless anyway. Okay? I'm not checking my watch here. You go, and you make it right. And then you come back, and then then we can get on with the worship. God just demonstrates to us how important it is. God desires us to urgently make things right, and yet, many in this room have been to hundreds of worship services knowing that you've done some, somebody wrong and you continue to refuse to make it right. It's disobedient to God and His Word and what Jesus has called us to do. God's not pleased with your worship when you come to worship in conflict with others. And second, we see with this testimony of of worship, we see how often we place the ceremonial before everyday obedience. Given the choice between the ceremonial and the tougher aspects of following Christ, we will choose the ceremonial every time. This is why so many people will attend church on Sunday. They'll come and and they'll get their church attendance card stamped. They may even sing a little bit. They might even take a couple of notes in the sermon. And they will engage in that ceremony that they've engaged in since they were kids with mom and dad. And they will leave this building and not acknowledge God at all the rest of the week. They will not seek to obey Him. It will not seek to read his word and to pray to him. I I did the ceremony. I did the ceremony. That other stuff is really hard. Going out and loving my enemies, hey, that's, that's a little too difficult. I'll just do the church attendance thing. And again, God is not after just outward displays of obedience. He is after our hearts, and that goes beyond ceremony. Are you just a ceremonious Christian? Are you a Christian that is engaged every day? and seeking to be obedient and follow God's commands. It's what Jesus is calling us here. It's not just lip service, not just ceremonial, but to the everyday hard things. Jesus is saying, hey, it's easy to bring me a gift. It's easy to come to the altar and leave a gift. It's a whole other thing to go to your friend, or who used to be your friend, and say, man, I messed up. I messed up. I need you to forgive me. This is what I've done to you. This is how I know I've hurt you and I need you to forgive me. That's so much more difficult than leaving something at the altar. And then we, again, have that example of where it appears that someone owes someone and they're going to court, and, and Jesus says, man, don't wait until you stand before the judge because the judge could throw you in jail. Try to make it right with that person. To me, this is just practical, right? Just to be a peacemaker, to be someone that seeks to make things right with others, your life will go better. So in conclusion, how's your heart? How is your heart? Have you been like the Pharisees, just kind of washing up everything on the outside? When inside, things are not what they need to be? Are you only trying to catch your sin after it's already out in the open doing damage? Or are you someone that's trying to catch the sin while it's still in your heart? How's your peacemaking? Is there someone that you know you've done wrong by them. And yet you come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday offering your worship to God. And you would say this morning, I know that my worship isn't what it needs to be because that situation has never been dealt with. If it's possible, make it right. If it's something that that was between you and somebody and they've passed on and they've, they're no longer here and it's no longer possible to make it right, take it to God and say, God, I should have made that right. And God will give you forgiveness and God will, God will remove that obstacle from your worship. Make it right. And lastly, I would say, do you know Jesus? We've just looked at the sixth commandment. And maybe all your life you said, man, I keep those commandments. There are a lot of people in the Bible that said, hey, I keep those commandments. The rich young ruler said, hey, I, got the, I got the law down. And you've always said, well, man, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I've never murdered anyone. And you would read Jesus' words here. And maybe this morning you realized that there's anger in your heart every day. And you would say, man, when I look at my words, I'm not always constructive. Many times I'm tearing others down. The reality is is that what Jesus says here makes us all lawbreakers. That's his point. It's it's not that Hey, this is, this is the law, man. You can nail this. It's, it's, you can never be what you're called to be, which is why you so desperately need Jesus. You need to go to the one who did keep the law, who did live his life, not only without murdering, he lived his life without any bit of sinful anger in his heart. He lived life without one word spoken with the intent to harm others. He did all of that so that you could be made a law keeper in the sight of God by His righteousness. And so that you could believe on Jesus Christ and receive that forgiveness for being a lawbreaker. He died on the cross to pay your penalty. And I would invite you to trust and to believe in Christ. I'll be down here in a few moments. I'd love to talk to you about how to do that. And Christian, this isn't just something that you look at and you go, man, I'm thankful for grace. Yeah, you know, I'm thankful I'm not under that law. You're under that law. You are especially, as a believer, saved by God's grace, you are responsible to keep that law. Even though it's not going to crush you with its demands, it is your responsibility to look at the words of Jesus and say, I've got to be better. I've got to be a better peacemaker. I've got to be better at dealing with the anger in my heart. I'm going to ask you all to stand as our musicians come and just deal with God however you feel He's called you through His Word. Look, I just can't imagine that any of us can look at this text and say, i got no work to do. God's calling us to a very difficult work. And I'm asking you to respond however God is moving in your heart to do. Let's pray. Dear only Father, God, thank You so much for Christ. God, we are desperate when it comes to Your law. God, I I pray that we would be people that would turn to Christ and and receive His forgiveness, but help us to come back to the law and and not to put ourselves under the yoke of the law, but but to graciously, in in joy and in love of You, God, look at the law and desire to be more like Christ who kept the law. God, move in our hearts. Help us to address what's in our hearts, not just what we're doing, not just what we're saying, but what's in our hearts. God, help us to love other people. God, move in our heart this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.